please. Our Father, we are not here. No one in this room is here by chance. Not by accident. You have a reason that you have drawn each of us to this place tonight. I pray that you would give to us ears that we might hear what the Spirit of God would say to us tonight. Give us a spirit and a willingness to be obedient to your direction in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for meeting with us tonight. Thank you for sending your servant to open the word of God and speak its infallible truths to us. Bring to us, we pray, encouragement, hope, and perhaps for someone who's in this room this evening who's never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray you'd speak to that heart tonight. Bless Cameron. Thank you for him. And I pray that you would set a watch at his lips and have him speak those things which you know the people gathered here need to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Cameron, welcome, brother. Here we go. All right, can you hear me now? I want to do just a couple of things by way of introduction. Um, just a couple of words of thanks. I appreciate so much again, Pastor uh, Ross, having us here this week. Of all the people that he could have gotten, of all the people that he could have called this week, of all the wonderful, talented people, I'm just amazed none of them could make it, and so he allowed me to come. <laughs> But I do count it a great honor and a great privilege uh, to be able to stand behind this pulpit. You have a wonderful and amazing pastor, and you know that, Brother David and the rest of the staff. I'm so grateful for you and your ministry here, and God has built something here. You know, people talk about how this area has grown, and you have. Wow, uh, where, we at, where we're at, and not much has changed in 40 or 50 years. Uh, that's part of what is the mystique of White Lake. It's just like it was in 1950. Nothing about this county is just like it was in 1950. And I'm thankful uh, for all that God has done these many years here at this wonderful, wonderful church. Uh, also, uh, Brother Harold and your family, thank you for allowing me to use a car today. Uh, man, that little Toyota run 125. I mean, it'll get. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's been to Chapel Hill and all places in between. So I appreciate that. And uh, also, uh, certainly, to Brian and Kathy opening their home up to us last night and Garrett sharing the upstairs with me. And uh, I appreciate that so much. Let me just encourage you tonight, and I'm serious about this. Wednesday night, uh, tomorrow night's going to be good. Looking forward to that. God's laid something on my heart for you. But Wednesday night's going to be, uh, I believe, a life-changing night for somebody, but not unless we get them here. I don't mean calling somebody who's maybe from another church, say, hey, you come to our service, I'll come to yours one day. But you'd be praying this week about somebody that you know you work with, you play ball with in your neighborhood, somebody that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be preaching an evangelistic message out of the book of John on Wednesday night unless the Lord should change our heart and don't believe he would. 
Uh, but I'm excited about that and we'll share some things with you. I'll give you a gift to take home uh, that I pray you'd remember us by as well. So you can't beat that. Come to church, get a free gift. Promise it won't cost you a dime. And uh, so just look forward to that. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Matthew no, chapter number 14 tonight. Our message entitled, Eyes on the Master. Where are your eyes tonight? Where are your eyes taking you tonight? I know you might not believe this, but I've done a lot of interesting things in my brief life. I've played all kinds of sports. I've done all kinds of things. I used to ride motorcycles. I looked the part, you know. I had long hair and a ponytail. Not really, but I did look the part. And um, I remember when I was learning to ride a motorcycle, one of the most difficult things was figuring out how to make a turn. You have a tendency to want to turn the handlebars. You'll kill yourself if you try to do that. The gentleman that kind of coached me in learning to ride a motorcycle said, here's what you do. You put your eyes as far into the curve as you can see, and somehow, mysteriously, your body will just take you there. Friend, may I ask you tonight, where are your eyes? Church, where are your eyes? Wherever your eyes are, I imagine that's where you are headed. Tonight, we're going to look at a storm. We're going to look at a storm. By the way, I also wanted to mention this. On Wednesday evening, uh, my family's going to be able to be with me. I just kind of confirmed that a little bit ago. Uh, I, I miss them when I'm not here. I had one of those moments. I was uh, coming from Ruby Tuesdays, and I appreciate Ruby uh, tonight fixing that good meal for us there. And uh, we enjoyed that in the time with your pastor and others. Um, Brother Curtis, thank you for the good supper. Appreciate that so much. And uh, Miss Katie as well. But I, I was coming, and, and, and along the way, I saw a little girl, and she was running along with her mom. They were out getting some exercise something we all probably could benefit from. I know I could, but I looked at her and she looked so much like my little eight-year-old girl. Her name is Lee. I'll tell you more about her on Wednesday night. Uh, but when I saw her, my heart just broke. And I, I miss the nights that I'm not able to be there. I miss uh, uh, tonight, uh, two of my children have ball games. I'm keeping updated by my, by my cell phone. So if I'm preaching and I go, woo, that means my boy just hit a home run. Uh, amen, because it'll pop up on my iPad here. Um, but I miss those times, and but I, I know this is profitable. I know God has his hand in this, uh, but they're growing up so fast. So I want to also encourage you Wednesday night, come and to bring somebody with you. You're going to be amazed how pretty my wife is after you've seen me. Uh, you're going to be amazed uh, how wonderfully adapted our children are concerning who their daddy is. And uh, so maybe the fact that I'm away a lot has, uh, has provided a great benefit to them. But Wednesday night, it's going to be good tomorrow night as well. Don't just skip over tomorrow night because I'm talking so much about Wednesday uh, but I'm just excited about being here. Look with me, Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse number 22. By the way, I've noticed every service, the music has gotten a little shorter. I think that means something. You just want to hear more of my preaching. Amen. No. <laughs> verse 22, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. Did he know about this ship? Did he know everything that lie ahead of this ship? Oh, yes, he did, beloved. And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. How important it is to get alone with God and pray. And that night when the evening was come, he was there all alone. But the ship. You remember that ship he told the disciples to go get in? That ship that he wished bon voyage? That ship was now in the midst of the sea. And it was tossed with waves. And the wind was contrary. Tonight there are three groups of people that are in God's meeting house. And some that aren't in God's meeting house aren't here. But there are three groups of people. There are those that are in the midst of a storm right now. 
It's not a storm you desired. It's not a storm that you asked for, but it's a storm that is yours to bear. There are others who have recently come out of a storm. You're looking back. We've all seen the aftermath of a storm. We're having to clean up the remnants, but we're looking and we're seeing the storm as it's going off into the distance and we're grateful that storm has now passed. And yet there are even others who are here tonight and everything is great and everything is grand and everything is wonderful. Yet unbeknownst to you and me, there is a storm just ahead. I wonder tonight, do you even know where you are? I must mix a little humor because that's just my nature. I had, a, I had an experience today. My, my cell phone uh, kicked out on me and uh, it died on me. And, uh, I, and when my, my cell phone kicked out, so did my GPS, global positioning system or whatever they call it. I'm grateful that we have another GPS that's God's positioning. He knows all about us. He knows what's going on. But, but I was lost as a ball in high weeds. And I was out on 540 or something. By the way, brother, i got to go ahead and tell you, you're going to get some things in the mail about some... <laughs> that, well, no, they're not, they're not tickets. But I got on 147. I went this way and I went that way and I went this way. And I, there's going to be a whole lot of, um, of tolls. So you just, you just give them a brother Ross because he said he'd cover all my expenses. <laughs> But finally, I got on 540 off of 147. Didn't know where in the world I was. Literally, see my watch. I got a cool watch. My watch has a compass on it. I finally decided I needed to go south. So I took my compass and held it out to wind until I figured out which way south. And the next intersection, I went that way. So I finally got going down the road and I saw civilization because all I'd seen is highways. And I saw Walmart and the Wendy's. Praise God for both of them. They're going to be Frosties in heaven, y'all. And... Um, <laughs> I was so excited because at least there was somebody. So I went into Walmart. I had to get a couple of things because I got stranded here. I'm not going to tell you what kind of things I have, but, but, but they're clean tonight, praise God. And uh, so I had to go in there and get a couple of things. And, and I thought, well, I'd at least be able to ask directions, see if anybody get me back to Fuquay Arena. So I went in and got my few items that I was checking out. And I was sharing just, you know, small talk with a young lady that was checking me out. And I said, young lady, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. She said, why? Like I was going to be juicy, you know. I don't know what you thought I was getting ready to confess to. I said, I I'm just ashamed I have to tell you this. I said, but I don't know where I am. I said, can you please just tell me what city I'm in? And she looked at me. And she said, hang on a minute. <laughs> Now, this girl works there, y'all. And she turned to her manager and she said, where are we? The manager turned to her and said, Walmart and walked off. And I thought, well, we ain't getting nowhere. And I'm thinking, I might miss church because my phone's dead. Ross, nobody can call me. I thought about, you know, I was going, I didn't know what to do. I did come up with an idea. I did come up with an idea. I thought what I'm going to do is, is I'm, I'm going to find me like a Domino's pizza. And I'm going to tell them I need to order a pizza and have it delivered uh, to this church, to wait, you know, ch Christian church. And, 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 then, and then whenever the guy goes out to deliver it, I'm just going to follow him. Now that was my idea. But I thought I'm not going to get that, that desperate quite yet. So I went to the young lady that was, you know, making sure you didn't steal what she's taken out of Walmart and it marks your receipt. I walked up to her and I thought, well, here we go again. I walked up to her and I said, young lady, 
May I ask you a question? She said, sure. She seemed a little brighter than the other one. I thought, we're getting somewhere now. I said, where are we? And she didn't know. I finally asked some dear saint walking in the door, and she told me I was in Garner. I was praying. I was praying. Maybe I was actually in Fuquay Marina because Brian took me to the Walmart. They all looked the same to me. But I was in Garner. And I said, can you even get to Fuquay Marina from here? Fella came out and he said, all you got to do is get on this road. Just keep going. You can't miss it. And I thought, if you only knew. (laughs) Friend, can I tell you? Sometimes life can turn us around. Sometimes life can throw us a curve. Sometimes life will do things to us that will put us in such a state of mind that we literally won't even know where we are. Friend, when that happens to you, remember you might not know where you are, but praise God, I know whose I am. Father, I thank you for the time together tonight to spend in your word, and I pray that you might anoint Lord, these unworthy lips as I stand behind this sacred desk. That, Lord, in our brief few moments that we have to just peruse these scriptures. Lord, that you would speak to us and through us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. Interpret your word to your people as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things tonight we're going to be looking at. The first is the storm. Look with me, beginning in verse 22. We've read a few verses of this text. We will continue looking through verse number 33. And I promise you I won't keep you Long, I still have not gotten my Krispy Kreme donuts. Amen. (laughs) Tonight's message, first off, is for the Christian. I'm not going to make any bones about it. If you're a lost person here tonight, my prayer is that God will speak to your heart. But ultimately, tonight's message is specifically for the Christian. And let me just go ahead and tell you. The Bible says that we can be guaranteed that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not might, but shall, suffer some persecution. Trials will come. Temptations will come. Tragedies will come. Bad news will come. Do you know as a pastor, very few people call you just to tell you good news? The phone never rings at 2 a.m. for someone to tell you good news. Parents, when you're here and you get a knock at the door in the middle of the night, you know what that feeling is like. You know what that's like, elderly person, when your doctor calls and says, I need to see you in my office as soon as possible. Friend, being a Christian does not make us immune from the trials of life. Number two, the message is also for the church. My Bible says, and I love the words of Jesus to Peter. He says, Peter, you're a little pebble, but upon the rock, the gospel of Christ, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That lets us know that hell and everything hell has to offer will be thrown at the church. And beloved, I believe it's happening today more than ever before. So the bad news is this. Storms are coming. Storms are coming. It's just part of living this old world, part of living life. But I've got some good news. The good news is we can count on the Savior. While we can count on the storms, we can count on the Savior. And I don't mean to make a pun. I'm not getting political tonight. But can I tell you, my Savior trumps every storm. My Savior overcomes every storm. There is no storm that will overtake me that my Savior hasn't already handled. Let's look together. 
There are a few things I want you to see about this storm, about what's going on in this particular night. But we begin with the sending. Notice with me, if you will, Jesus put the disciples in the boat and he constrained them. He said, go get in it and go on to the other side. Jesus knew they'd never make it to the other side without a storm. Jesus knew what was going on. Sometimes we need to understand that God allows our storms. Don't blame the devil for every storm that comes. Sometimes it's part of God's divine plan. Sometimes it's how God is going to draw us to his self. Sometimes it's how God's going to get our attention. Now, some storms... He allows in other storms, beloved, I believe he authors. Tonight, I believe this particular storm that we're going to look at for just the next few moments, I believe God authored this particular storm. The disciples at this point, although they had seen miracles, although they had witnessed tremendous things, although they had seen the hand of God at work, they were not yet convinced. Beloved, may I say to you, there are many people today who call themselves Christians, yet they do not believe in the mighty hand of God. They, they do not truly believe in miracles. They do not truly believe that God is the same today as he was yesterday. Some storms God allows, others he authors. Tonight, you might be in that storm and wondering, God, why are you allowing this old friend? Just hang on a little while. He'll make it clear. He'll show you one day we'll look back and say, God, thank you for that storm. There's the sending. He says, go, get in the boat and head out into the sea. Number two, notice with me, the solemnness. The solemnness of the evening. Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus when the, uh, when the skies began to darken? Where was Jesus when that cool wind began to blow? Where was Jesus when those disciples began to get fearful? He was off, alone with the Father, praying. I've shared some things with your pastor and with others this week. I'm getting ready to go through some of the uh, s some of the most turbulent uh, seas of my ministry. I've got some decisions to make uh, tomorrow and the next day and, the, and throughout this week that literally either way I go, either way that I decide, I'm going to be heading straight into a storm and I know it without a doubt. I mean, take, can I tell you, friend, it's in these times that I take refuge in God. I'm looking forward to driving home tonight with the wind blowing in my hair, you know. But I'm looking forward to it. My little car doesn't have air conditioning. My little car doesn't have a radio, and I don't need either one of them. Me and God's just going to have a good long talk, and we're going to talk about some things. I'm going to do a little bit of talking, and I hope I can do a whole lot of listening. Because, listen, friend, when we know those storms are coming, we need to get alone with God. You say, well, where is Jesus in the midst of my storm beloved may I say to you based on the authority of the word of God more than 12 times in the New Testament it is identified where Jesus is the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us I do not have time to get into the depth of that all oh, but it'll preach beloved the high priest in the Old Testament never sat down why because the high priest's job was never done it was always something to do always more to do Always another sacrifice. Always another work of atonement. But when Jesus hung upon that cross, said it is finished, tell us die, the, the curtain was torn in two. Immediately the Bible said that that was destined unto him. That the high priest then could be seated for that atonement was accomplished. We and our sin debt was paid in full. So he's seated because his work is done. But he's making intercession for you and for me. Identify yourself with this scripture. As he was making intercession on behalf of 
the disciples, beloved, even right now, some 2,000 years later, you're on his mind and you're on his heart as he's making intercession for you and for me. There's a solemnness of this moment. Not only do we see the sending and the solemnness, but number three, we see the sailing. We see the sailing. One of the things that concerns me, and I'm not going to get on to your favorite author or teacher or, or preacher or, or radio preacher or TV preacher or whatever, but can I tell you, God never promised us smooth sailing. God never promised us that every day would be a Friday, nor a Saturday, nor a Sunday. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, we understand that. But what did old Job say? Man's days are few. They are numbered, and they're full of misery. Now, I don't want to cope out on that. I want to just camp out on that point tonight. But the fact of the matter is, life is not easy. Life is not a bed of roses. And even if it was, you'd find out there are a lot more more thorns than there are petals. Amen. But what about the sailing? Notice with me. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And then finally, in the fourth watch of the night, came Jesus. They were to make a one-hour journey over to Capernaum. It wouldn't take long. It was a journey they had made many times. One hour in our community, you can go from one end of the county to the other, back and forth about five times in an hour. Up here, sometimes you can go two blocks in an hour, you know. But this short trip, it was to be uneventful. Certainly because Jesus had put them on the boat, nothing would go wrong. If you're a young believer here tonight, maybe you have this idea that as long as I put Jesus first, everything is going to be great. These disciples would learn quickly, not so, not so. For their one-hour journey had now turned into a nine-hour journey. Somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. They're now about three and a half miles out into the sea in the very midst of the sea. Too far to turn back. In fact, if they tried, they wouldn't even know what direction to go. If you've ever been out to the Outer Banks and a nor'easter comes up, you know what that's like. It's tough. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You can feel every beat of your heart pounding in your chest with fear because Mother Nature is so big. This evening, Mother Nature became very big so that Father God could become so very big. The sailing. It's kind of like this. Up until just a few years ago, I'd never flown. And I was going to make my first flight and, and I, I was a little bit apprehensive. Well, let's just put it in layman's terms. I was a scaredy cat, all right? Right? And, uh, and you know where that term comes from? It's somebody that stayed with Brian and Kathy, and the cat came out and scared him. Anyway, I don't like cats. I don't have a problem with them as long as they stay out in the middle of the road where they belong. All right? See? That happens to me. So I can get right, and I just fall off the wagon, and I just fall right off. Y'all pay attention. Don't get me dis distracted like that anymore. <laughs> All right, back to my point. And I would tell people, I'd say, pray for me. I'm going to be flying my first time. Pray for me. I'm going to be getting on a, a big jet and I'm flying. I was just flying from, uh, from, uh, from Fayetteville to, uh, to Knoxville, Tennessee. Just went up and come down real quick. But anyway, and everybody, I said, here's what everybody told me. Brother Ross, they said, oh, it's nothing to it. Oh, when you're up there in the air, you don't even know you're flying. You don't feel a thing. It's like sitting in your living room. And I believe them. I mean, I take people at their word normally. 
And so I get on that airplane. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play the big role, you know, like, you know, fly much all, all the time. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and they're like, buckle your seatbelts. So they go, why? I do not buckle my seatbelts when I'm in my living room. If it's just going to be like my living room. So I buckle my seatbelts, and then this woman's up talking about what happens when we, when we go in the water. And I think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's like that time Daddy tricked me into ride the log flume. I didn't know he was going to go in the water. And, and I'm like, okay. And so finally, that old jet takes off and, and it gets to going and it takes off and, and up in the air we go and, and it's bouncing around and, and every time it bounced, my heart would sink. I was pouring sweat. I was crying like a little girl and screaming. I mean, you know, and, and it was, I was just, no offense to little girls, and man, it was just, oh. And we, and we got off the plane and I called, I said, baby, that was the worst flight. I said, we, we must have almost crashed. Nobody else seemed to be panicking, but I was panicking enough for all of us. And, and, and you know what I've learned? Because I've flown a lot of times all over the world. It's normal. It's normal. Now, now think about this. I know this is not particularly deep, but think about this. If we get into a plane thinking everything is going to be absolutely smooth the whole time, every little bump will make us panic. If we get into this thing called a Christian life and we're convinced and we've been told that everything is going to be smooth, then every little bump that comes along, we're going to panic. So we just need to go ahead and be honest. If you've never flown and you're getting ready to go get on an airplane, here's what I'm going to tell you. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's a little bumpy. Sometimes it's a lot bumpy. But you very seldom crash. Right? That pilot knows what he's doing. That pilot's trained. You can trust that pilot, can't you? Did anybody ever tell you that the Christian life was smooth? We need to talk to these disciples. Their sailing was anything but smooth. Number four, look with me at the storm. The Bible says... The ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. The wind was contrary, everything coming against them. Now, now, I don't want you to miss this. This is very important. We have to understand, and this sort of relates to the church, okay? And it relates to anyone who truly wants to have revival in their life this week. The Jordan Valley. The Sea of Galilee. 4,000 feet above to 700 feet below sea level. The cool and cold mountain air rushing down, colliding with the balmy and the humid air of the sea. It is a recipe for a storm. It is one of those places on this planet that frequently has storms that come out of nowhere because of the difference of the heat and the cold coming together and when they collide. Now think about this. Think about this. I see this all the time. A church that begins to experience revival. And people get on fire for the Lord and their hearts are, are tender to the Lord and they're excited and they're passionate about the Lord. And then the coldness and the indifference of those whose favored Him is we shall not be moved. And when the coldness of those indifferent hits the warmth and the fervor and the passion and the heat of those revived, it is a recipe for a storm. Two years ago, a church in our community began ministering to the football team at West Bladen High School. 
Within a month, 32 football players had, had, had radically given their lives to the Lord. We're at the church every time the doors were open. Kids of all backgrounds, all of colors and ethnicities, and all were there, and they were baptizing them, and God was blessing, and man, the church began to grow, and they were filling up, and, and it was all over town. It made the newspaper. You know you're living in a conservative area when, when kids getting saved makes the newspaper. West Bladen football team experiences revival. That was the headline. Within six months, that church was torn apart and divided. This past Sunday morning, the entire staff stood up and resigned and walked out. People began calling me and texting me Sunday as I was here and coming here. Have you heard what's going on? Have you heard what's going on? Have you heard what happened? And they said, what do you think happened? I said, I'll tell you what happened. God began doing an amazing work in that church. And Satan turned to every demon of hell and said, we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. Sometimes the storm comes when the fires of revival Meet the coldness of indifference. I'll give you another illustration. Kids come back from summer camp, right? Oh, they're excited. You've seen them. They come in, man, they've got their Christian t-shirts on. They've got the crosses around their neck, you know. They're all saying, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and yes, sir, no, sir. And you're thinking, what did you do with my grand young? You know? They're singing and they're praising God and they're packing the pews and they move to the front. Even Tyler's sitting up front, amen, you know. I mean, everybody's excited. I love you, Tyler. You're the coolest dude. And I mean, and everybody, and, and man, the kids are so on fire. Their parents are so happy. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And it never failed. Those kids would come back and they'd have testimony time and they'd get up and talk about how good God is and how God was working in their heart and how they'd rededicate their life and they'd been saved. And some old indifferent person, and they won't always over indifferent people, would say something like this. Well, I've seen it before. I'll give them two weeks and they'll be right back the way they were. It was as if they were just pouring out that cold water onto their fire. Jesus, in Revelation, said, I, I know thy works. And I know that you are lukewarm. Oh, I'd rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. We do not want to be indifferent. In the midst of the storm, we want to be the agent of healing and the agent of ministry. Oh, beloved, when you see someone's life revived, when you see a church revived, it's so easy to stand in judgment. I have parents that are so threatened by their children's passion for the Lord, they begin trying to pull them back from the church because it so intimidates them and reveals to them how far they are from the Lord. Parents who will not let their children or their grandchildren sometimes go on mission trips only because they don't want them to get so close to the Lord it'll expose how far they are from the Lord, you know? So how do things get lukewarm? How does a Christian become lukewarm two ways? Sometimes hot water becomes lukewarm by pouring cold water on it. Sometimes it just becomes lukewarm by doing nothing. Moving on. The storm, it's brewing. And, 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 and the waves are, 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 are raging and the wind is blowing and, and the disciples are in the midst of the storm. Number five, verse 25. Notice with me the spectacle. 
the spectacle. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., you say, why did he leave them out there so long? That's how long it took to get to them. And I don't mean physically. And Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Beloved, don't miss this. If you're here tonight and you've been praying, God, take this storm from me. God, take this storm from me. God, take this storm from me. Maybe it's time we start praying, God, meet me in this storm. God, come to me in the midst of this storm. Lord, I don't understand my storm, but I need you. I need you, Lord. The spectacle in the Bible said, and when the disciples saw him, they were troubled. The storm was so big and the waves were so high and the wind was so strong that they could no longer even recognize Jesus. Beloved, may I say to you, sometimes the storms of life can be so difficult that we'll no longer even recognize the voice of God when He speaks. We'll no longer sense the presence of God because our storm has so overwhelmed us. Verse 26, notice with me the Spirit. They were troubled and they said, Is it a spirit? And they cried out for fear. Oh, beloved, storms will take their toll on us. Storms will exhaust us. So exhausted by the fight. Storms will frighten us. Even frightened at the sight of the master. Storms can even anger us. You remember... Jesus on another occasion asleep in the depths of the boat. And the waves were beating against the ship and it was tossed to and fro and they thought they were all going to, to die. And they went down and I can almost see them waking Jesus up and shaking Him and saying, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Sometimes storms can even cause us to grow angry with God, angry with the one who's allowed us to be in this storm. Oh friend, understand. He allows the storm so his children might realize his power and his presence. How difficult it is to keep that focus upon the Savior in the midst of the storm. Oh, but there's one more part. Verse 27. Sure, we've seen the sending and the solemnness and the sailing and the storm and the spectacle and the spirit. But there's one more part. Verse 27. We see the Savior. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them and said, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. There's sometimes great big old nuggets in the text that jump off the pages and you see them. Other times there are little specks that you've got to hunt for and there's a speck in verse 27. When Jesus said to these men, it is I. He was saying more than it's me. He was saying more than I am here. He was literally saying it is I. I, I, the great I am. He was identifying them not only as their friend, not only as their companion and confidant, not only as their Lord and Master, not only as their teacher, but He was identifying Himself as the Master over that very storm. I close. 
beginning in verse 28. The outcome of the storm. This is the part of your storm that you may not yet know. This is the part of your book that is yet to be written. This is the part of your biography that is still pending. Verse 28. And Peter, who was never short for words, said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come unto you on the water. I'm going to read the rest of this text. And then Jesus said, come, one word, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And he was walking along. But, verse 30, when he saw the wind, that it was boisterous, when he took his eyes off the master and put his eyes on the mess, when he took his eyes off of Christ and put his eyes on the calamity, when he took his eyes off the Savior and put his eyes on the sea, he began to be afraid. And he began to sink and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. That fear that cripples us, we cannot move forward, we cannot move backward, become crippled. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, praise be to God for the hand of, of the Lord. And he caught him and he said, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Oh, but there's one more part. Don't miss this, y'all. Then they, those disciples that were in the ship, came, fell down and worshipped him, and finally said, of a truth, in other words, without a doubt, we are convinced. It is sure thou art the Son of God. There was a miracle that night that would have never happened without the storm. Thanks be to God for the miracles that happen in our lives that we would never experience without a storm. Peter initiated this miracle, beloved. Make sure you understand that Jesus didn't say, Hey, Peter, walk out here where I am. But Peter initiated this miracle. It was Peter who spoke first. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, Lord, if this is of you, Lord, if you're working through this, Lord, I want to be where you are. You see, that's revival. Lord, I want to be where you are. Lord, even if it means going out deeper into the storm, Lord, even if it means coming out of this ship, our only source of, of hope at this point, Lord, that's okay. I want to be where you are. Isn't it wonderful when you see a person totally giving to the Lord and say, Lord, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, I want to be where you are, where you're at work, I want to be. I want to be in your presence, Lord. I'd rather be out in the midst of the storm with Jesus and stay in the ship alone any day of the week. Amen? Number two, not only did, G did Peter initiate the miracle, and by the way, God's looking for some of us tonight to call out and say, God, I want to be where you are. God, I want to be so close to you, I can feel the very breath of God upon my brow. But number two, Jesus performed the miracle. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. But it wasn't until Jesus said, come, that Peter began walking. Every relationship that you and I might ever have with the Lord of heaven begins with an invitation to come. Dr. Adrian Rogers 
the greatest preacher of the 20th century, I believe, said the sweetest word ever uttered by man was Jesus. The sweetest two words, Jesus saves. Ah, but the sweetest three words that anyone could ever hear is the invitation, come to Jesus. Jesus performed the miracle with this one word, come. And the results of his faithfulness was revealed as Peter began doing just what Jesus had enabled him to do. Jesus was allowing Peter to do something that only God could do through us. Isn't it awesome to watch somebody who gives themselves to God and God begins to use them to do miraculous things? But there's also the result of faithlessness. When Peter took those first few steps and the magnitude of the storm became so real... He took his eyes off the master. Oh, can I tell you, as a pastor, sometimes I'm tempted to take my eyes off the master. Sometimes I'm tempted not to, not to depend upon the Holy Spirit, but I say we've got to depend upon the music, and I'm all about some music. But if we can stir people up with our music, it's not God doing the work. Sometimes I, I, I know that I need to depend upon God, but I keep my eye on the building fund, make sure it's growing and doing real well. Fact is, I have a father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the hills of the banks too. You see, sometimes life can cause us to take our eyes off the master. But there's one last thing, and I'm done. Peter initiated the miracle. Jesus performed the miracle. Ah, but praise God, the disciples witnessed the miracle. And it's about time. It was only, only after this miracle, only after the storm, only after an entire night of rowing and, and trying to fight the storm and do everything they could, only after Jesus had come unto them in, on the water, only after they had seen Peter walk on the water, only until they had come into the boat, and only until the storm had ceased. It was only after all of that that the disciples finally got it. They said, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew chapter 2, the Magi came and they worshipped and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Matthew chapter 8, a leper who was healed ran and, and fell on his face before Jesus and said, surely you are the Son of God. Matthew chapter 9, Jairus, you remember him, his little girl was dead and Jesus raised her. And Jairus fell down and worshipped and said, Truly you are the Son of God. But it wasn't until Matthew chapter 14 that those closest to him finally got it. If you don't hear anything else tonight, hear this. One of the reasons God allows the storms in our life is to reveal who is sovereign in our life. Two years ago, it was August. I took my oldest son. His name is Haston. Got that from the song, I will hasten, hasten to him. Haston, so glad and free. You remember. <laughs> Not really. It's, it's Hindu for elephant. I don't know. My wife thought it was a cool name. <laughs> Haston's my oldest boy. He's my pride and joy. He's like me. Um, played sports. Uh, was pretty good at sports. Um, just a cool kid. Surrendered his life at 15 to ministry. Asked God to direct his steps. It was August of his senior year. He and I went out to eat, and he said, Dad, it's going to be a great year. He said, I'll be the first player ever at East Bladen High School. It's a fairly new school. 
two schools combined. He's probably the first player ever to letter in four varsity sports this year. He said, Daddy, I might not ever play another game after high school, but this is going to be the greatest year ever. I was excited. He was a kicker on the football team to this day. He's never missed a kick. Not bad. I couldn't wait for every Friday night, whether it was home or away. Cleared my schedule. I was going to get out there with my East Blade and, uh, you know, uh, fan decorations on. You know, I was going to paint my hair blue, you know, and go out there and root for my team and watch my boy kick the ball through the uprights. I couldn't wait. Something about Friday night lights. Something about Friday night football. Couldn't wait. He was going to play soccer, which is one of his favorite sports. I don't get it. like watching foosball. But he's, but, he's, but he's good. He can do things with a, with a soccer ball you can't hardly imagine. And then I couldn't wait for basketball season. The last game of his junior year, last game we played in Burlington, he went down the court and dunked the ball. This boy's five foot six and a half, and he dunked the ball. It was the coolest thing I'd ever been so excited in all my life. I said, I can't wait to see him play basketball this year. There's no telling how good he'll be this year. And then there's baseball. I don't know about any other sport, but there will be baseball in heaven. I just know it. And hot dogs. And, uh, and frosties, but no cats. And, uh, and I was thinking about how, how awesome baseball season would be. The smell of honeysuckle, the sound of, of the ball hitting the bat. My boy was a catcher, even though he's little. He, nothing got by him throwing out base runners. I, I was excited as he was. This going to be a great year. Football season started. Every Friday night we'd go out there and I'd watch him kick the ball. Kept moving it back and different things. The 45-yard field goal. High schoolers don't do that. Went out there to the soccer games and watched him do what soccer players do, run up down the field for hours on end and score 0-0 zero, zero at the end. But <laughs> One of the first soccer games he went down and, and he didn't get up. I helped him off the field and we took him to the emergency room. They said he's broken his ankle, but it's not that bad. Needs to go get therapy, wrap it, tape it, put ice on it. He'll be all right. He'll, he'll be able to come back. He'll be able to come back. All this time, I did not know, but my son was drifting from the Lord. My son was beginning to do things he shouldn't do, going places he shouldn't go, and hanging around people he shouldn't hang around. I had my, my mind so on what an awesome athlete he was, I was kind of missing some of those things. He healed for about a month. Finally came back. He said, I'm good. I'm good. He went out and showed me. He said, I can do everything. I'm fine. I'm fine, Daddy. Went out on the soccer field the first game. Within the first five minutes, he went down. Like any good daddy, I said, come on, son. Hop up. Shake it off. He didn't move. And then just a few minutes, they'd run out to him, and he, and, and he just shook his head no. Finally put him on a stretch, and within an hour, we were in our emergency room. The doctor came out and he said, he's broken his hip. Those soccer scholarships that we were counting on to put our son through college were gone. That coach that was leaving messages for us every day, that coach that was sending us emails every day, that coach that was sending us letters every week all of a sudden said, don't call us, we'll call you. I watched my son lay in a bed, not bathing, not eating, just staring at the ceiling. If my son were here tonight, he would tell you that night was the best night of his life. I didn't understand it. I got angry with God. Friday nights would come and I'd say, God, I'm supposed to be out there watching my boy kick field goals. Basketball season came. 
My boy's supposed to be on the front page of the paper like he was last year. My boy wrote a paper freshman year of college. He said the day that changed my life. I began reading it and I thought, I don't know that I can read this. He's going to talk about how terrible this day was. And he began sharing in this paper about how he was drifting from the Lord. And the Lord had to take the one thing that meant more than anything to him away so that he could realize what was truly important. You see, that was a storm. That was a storm that affected a lot of people. But it was the storm that God allowed because he loved my boy even more than I do. I'm happy to tell you my boy's playing college soccer now. He's starting. But he's not playing at any old school. You see, he's a sophomore in Bible college now. I don't think without that storm, my son would be in Bible college right now. Are you in the midst of a storm tonight? He's still the great I am. Father, thank you. Lord, storms hurt. Storms frighten us and they exhaust us. And storms are personal and there's not a single person in this room that hasn't endured a storm of their own. Lord, there are people tonight that are going through storms that nobody knows about. Lord, I believe there are teenagers here tonight that are fighting storms that they can't tell their mom and daddy about, they can't tell their grandma and grandpa about, they can't tell their friends about. Lord, tonight they need to tell the great I am about it. Lord, there are marriages in this room tonight. Nobody else might know anything about it, but that marriage is in a storm. There are parents here tonight that are in a storm with their children. Or, Lord, there are storms at work. There are financial storms. There are, there are uh, Lord, addictions in this room tonight that are storms. Lord, there are people struggling here tonight. I know nothing about it, but you know all about it. And God, our choice tonight is that we can keep our eyes on our storm, wallowing in self-pity, in anger, questioning your sovereignty. For tonight we can cast our eyes from our storm into the eyes of our Savior who is a sovereign God. Father, I didn't want to preach this message tonight but I know it's what you'd have us to preach. So I pray you might accomplish in these next few moments what you've come here to accomplish. Ah, uh, Like the old hymn says, may we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And may the things of this old earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for every storm you've allowed. And even those you are now allowing. Draw us nearer, 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 precious Lord. Tonight, in Jesus' sweet name, amen. If you're here tonight, and you're in a storm, turn your eyes toward the Savior. Won't you? He is the great eye.